morning. Congratulations to Vanessa again. Awesome to see that. And Ramon. And uh, as you can see, we are continuing our, our series today on game plan and right in time for football season. As you can see, this is a special guys service, a guys series. Every once in a while, you got to roll something out for the guys, right? And as I said last week, some of the ladies had said, man, we're talking about football at church. Can't believe it. I hate football. I can't talk to my husband on Saturday or Sunday. Well, this has a good ending, so don't, don't stress it. But today we're going to be talking about calling an audible. And I just want to ask real quick, that's a, the title of today's lesson, Calling an Audible, uh, within the series of Game Plan. And uh, how many of us know in the audience what an audible is? Raise your hand. Calling an audible. Mostly guys. There's a few girls. Hey, Laura, she knows what... Not everybody knows. You know, I asked a, a family member, what's an audible? He says, uh, it sounds like something you say out loud. <laughs> That's a good guess. But, you know, in this series, we're, we're talking about uh, game plan. And that is, as you saw in the intro video, God has a plan for our lives. And the question is, if we're going to be in that plan, if we're going to follow that plan or if we're going to do our own thing. And as I shared last week, uh, one of the biggest questions that I get asked, that people ask, is what is God's will for my life? Uh, in fact, they did a survey not too long ago, uh, and I shared this last week also, is uh, they asked people, if you could ask God one question, what would it be? You want to know what the number one answer was? Why am I here? If they could ask God one question, they could get an answer straight from God. This was the number one question that people would ask God. Number two question was, is there an afterlife? Both of these questions you can get answers for from the Scriptures, from the Bible. And today you can even get some answers to your questions about what is God's will. Or you can basically get on the road to finding out what God's will is for your life. And so today as we talk about calling an audible, here's the definition of calling an audible. It says here, calling an audible in football occurs when the quarterback calls out a number or a color, essentially a play, and the offensive players shift into a new formation before the play or before the snap. The quarterback essentially changes the play at the line of scrimmage after reading the defense. And you see it all the time. Here's the QB. He's under center. He's ready to go. He looks around and he says, Blue 52! Right? And then he takes another look and says, That's not going to work. These guys have got me pegged. Or he sees an opportunity to exploit it. So coaches teach their quarterbacks to call an audible, which means right there on the, on the line of scrimmage, he changes the play. Instead of blue 52, he goes to red 88. And it's going to be an option to the right. And they get a 15, 20-yard gain because they seize the opportunity. In football, it's a good thing, but every once in a while, you'll get a quarterback who calls an audible out of fear. 
And he and the coach, normally, and this happens in the pros a lot, because in the pros, the, 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 the quarterback and the offensive coordinator are thinking the same thing. And they got the plays right here on their wristband. And they know what's going on. These guys spend hours and hours and hours working on plays, reading defenses. And so when a, when a coach and the quarterback are one and are thinking the same thing, then you're going to get a good audible. It's going to be a smart and the right play. But every now and then, you'll see it in college. The coach and the quarterback aren't quite there. So the quarterback thinks he knows what's best, calls an audible, and it's a disaster. The defense crushes the play. They're dropped for a loss, three or four yards. It's not good. And then you'll see the guy come to the sideline, the quarterback, and man, the coach will just rip into him. You know, he may even throw his hat down on the ground. You know, there's a couple of coaches that do that. But the point here is, you and I are like quarterbacks of our lives. And you're making decisions every day about what play to run in your life. And if you run the right play, guess what happens? Your life moves forward and there's blessings and things go well for you. But what if you call the wrong play? Your whole life can collapse. You could have a fumble. And the, the, the effects are devastating. And, you know, we talked about this a lot last week. The whole theme is, what is your plan for my life, God? You know, at the age of 16, I started asking this question over and over and over again. And my parents reinforced it after a life-threatening situation. My parents reinforced, you got to know, and God has a plan for your life, but you got to figure that out. you got to seek that out. And how do I go about figuring out what that plan is for my life? And today we're going to talk about that. How do you... How do you do it? When you read the Bible, you hear of all these examples. You know, how did God speak to people in the Old Testament? Well, you got Jonah and he had the fish experience. I'm not sure I want that. Okay, the fish experience. And then, you know, I remember when, we, when our kids were small, we used to do these devotionals. And we did one devotional from 1 Samuel 3 when God called Samuel. And we would reenact this and... And I would, I would share it with the kids. And they were little. And I'd say, you know, when God called Samuel, they were all in bed. The lights were dim. And God called out to Samuel. Samuel, Samuel, Samuel. And he got up and he ran to Eli, his, his mentor. And he said, yes, Lord, what do you want? And Eli said, I didn't call you. Go back to bed. And so it happened again. Samuel, Samuel, Samuel. Yes, Lord, Eli, what, what can I do? Did you call me? He said, I didn't call you. You know who's calling you, Samuel? God's calling you. So the next time that he calls you, you answer back to him, Yes, Lord, here am I, your servant. What do you want me to do? And so again, God called Samuel and gave him a whole lot of information. I'm not sure you want that either in the middle of the night. That's a little disturbing. There's other ways of going about. And, you know... Another thing is, this is a very powerful prayer that you can offer up to God. And I started praying this prayer, as I shared, at the age of 16. God, what is your will for my life? I don't know how many of you have asked this question of God. 
You know, maybe, maybe you're not even sure if you believe in God. Maybe you're, you have doubts about God. But there's absolutely no harm in asking Him. In fact, you may find out some amazing things because I know God is faithful. And He comes through and He will answer your question. He will, he will provide a little clarity for you. But it's a scary prayer. Because you know if He provides you with the plan, it may be different than your plan, and you may be kind of encouraged to go in a direction that's a little scary. It's unfamiliar territory. You know, I I searched and found out at the age of 21 that God's, God's plan for my life was to be a missionary in Latin America. And I felt very clear about that, that calling. But the day that my wife and I moved there and lived there and we were down in South America on the other side of the planet with not a lot of friends, not a lot of relationships, and they spoke a different language and I didn't speak that language, it was scary. And I started to question the plan of God. But then that's when you need to go back and keep on praying, God, what's your plan for my life? What's your will for my life? And as a church, this is a primary focus that we have as a church. This is one of the main things that we want to emphasize is that all of us as members of God's church, we want to will, we want to live in the will of God. We want to live the way He has called us to live. And as we talked about last night, uh, last, last week, the premise and the promise. The premise is, is we're going to assume in this series, in the five weeks that we're looking at this series, That God, yes, does have a plan for our lives. And the promise is, He's going to answer your question and He's going to give you clear direction as to what that plan is. I want to encourage you with this verse. In Psalm chapter 139 and verse 15. Listen to this verse. It's very powerful in the message version. And this this is David speaking to God. He says, You know my inside and out. You know every bone in my body. You know exactly how I was made. Bit by bit, how I was sculpted from nothing into something. How well does God know us? See, David acknowledged this. He acknowledged the truth. God, you formed me from nothing. You made me. How much more are you going to direct the steps of my life? You know me. You know me better. How many of you know each bone in your body? I guarantee you're neglecting that little, 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 little toe bone. A teeny little pinky toe and you're, you, you neglecting. You don't even think about that bone. See, but God gives attention to every part of you. And then in verse 16, look at this verse. It says, you saw me before I was born every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. See, this is what the Bible teaches. God has a plan, a game plan for your life. As Albert Einstein quoted, God doesn't roll dice. He doesn't play dice. He's got a very specific and awesome plan for each one of us. And he's got it written down. Now here's the big question. Are you going to live in that plan? See, because just like the quarterbacks, 
we're there and we're in life and we're at the line of scrimmage and we're looking around and we're saying, well, the world is saying this and the defense is saying this and my friends are saying this and society is saying this and my parents are saying this, my teachers, my boss, all these people are saying all these other things. What play do I call? What do I do here? And somehow God's voice gets drowned out. And you know what's another powerful voice in our lives? Our own selfish will. And we do what we want to do. We do what is convenient for us. Instead of saying, hey God, how are you going to direct the steps of my life? And a lot of us who are here today, we know what happened when we went with our will, right? Then you raise your hand and you say, oh yeah, I know what happened when I called an audible and I did it my way, just as Frank Sinatra did. It did not go well. In fact, it, it was a disaster. And I hurt a lot of people. And primarily, I hurt God. And today's an opportunity for you to change that. To go in a different direction. A different direction. Now, here's a fact. Your life is the sum total of the decisions you have made. And the decisions that were made about you. You know, we had an interesting experience when we were home in August. And I got to sit down uh, with my, my, my parents and my, my kids were there. And my dad was sharing the story of how he left. My family immigrated to this country in 1959, May of 1959, during the Cuban Communist Revolution. And they were the first members of our family to escape communism. In secret. And my dad was telling my kids the story of what it was like. I mean, it was intense. They were the first ones to leave. They had to pack up their, basically their station wagon, anything that would fit. And they had to do it in secret. They couldn't tell anybody else around about why they were leaving because if they had been found out, they could have been arrested and been held for treason. It was a scary decision. You know, and I was just, I'd heard the story before, but I was watching my kids and I was just thinking, what, what are they thinking about? And what an intense opportunity for my kids to understand that decision many generations ago, how it affected them. And then, you know, I, I pulled the kids aside afterwards and I said, hey, what did you think? What if they hadn't made that decision to move to this country? What if they just stayed with their family in fear and said, you know, we're just going to stay with the crowd and go with the flow? What if they hadn't made that bold decision to leave? How would that affect your life? I've already gone there and done that. I, I know. I've thought about it many times. If they hadn't, I've told my dad. I said, I'm really grateful you made that decision to move to this country when you did. And I congratulate you and I'm grateful for you doing that. Because my life is what it is because of your decision. And see, your life is the sum total of the decisions that you make. And not only that, decisions that are made for you or about you. But even when some decisions are made for us or about us, we make decisions on top of those decisions. And so the point here is, how big are the decisions that you make on a day-to-day basis in your life? And we're going to see that vividly today. They're huge, the decisions that you make. And if you're going to live in God's plan, it is, so, it is so significant because then God can bless your life. He can bless your family. Generation after generation, He can be with you and help you.
But if you make a decision to do it your way and to live outside of God's will, there are significant and devastating consequences for that. You know, we heard it this morning. Good decision, bad decision. And everything that goes along with it. I hope today that you can begin a new process in your life of making good decisions. That's the goal of this. And it's not doing it my way, it's doing it God's way. And life is all about decisions. And you know what? Some of us wish we could go back and undo, undecide some of the things. Isn't isn't that true? I I know there's some decisions that I made in my life. I wish I could undecide those. I wish you could go back and fix them and then change the decision. What a difference it would have made in my life. Had I made a decision to follow God at an earlier age, I would have avoided a lot of pain and a lot of trouble in my life and the lives of the people that I love. But you know what? No matter what age and what time you are in your life, it's never too late to start over. And to start today and say, I am going to change my direction and make a good decision to live in the plan and the will of God. What if your whole life had been about earnestly seeking God's will more than your friend's will, your parents' will, society's will? And asking that question, what if you'd ask God at an early age, what is your will for my life? What a difference that would have made. Who would you be now? And there, you know, the reason we ask this question is, if you don't do it today, what will your life be like tomorrow? In 10 years, what will your life be like? And the people that are around you. And understand that God has a very, a great plan. God's will in the Bible. You can break down, basically, we talked about this, all the scriptures that specifically tie in to God's will. There are three areas when you go and look at the Old Testament and the New Testament and combine them. Big picture. You can break down God's will into three areas. Number one, as you see on the screen, the first area is God's providential will. God's providential will. That means the big stuff. And then number two is the moral will of God. And that is, that's broken down into the do's and don'ts of life. That God has clearly spelled out in His, in His Word. You know, don't steal, don't cheat, respect your parents, pay your taxes. There are specific moral rules. And these are the ones that we have the most trouble with. You know, we, we like to skip down to the, the last one, and then there's the personal will of God. Which one do you think we like the most out of these three wills? Oh, you better believe it. It's the personal will of God. We want to skip number one, and we want to skip number two, and we want to get right down to it. Should I leave her? Should I stay with him? Should I do this? Should I do this? I want to know what major, what college, what should I do about my life? We want to skip right down to number three. But the interesting thing is, and this works throughout history, the more you know about the providential will of God and the more you know about the, the moral will of God, guess how much clearer is the third one? It's broken down for you. You can easily understand the personal will for God. And it's very important for us to get an education about the first two so that we can Get on to the the third one, the providential will. Let's look at this first one. 
What is the providential will of God? The providential will of God is, this is what God is going to do anyway. You know, uh, in, in my house, I'm the dad. And there's an occasion, not all the time, but I get to call the shots because I'm dad. If I don't like what's going on on the TV, and, and I don't like, well, I, I change the channel. I get the remote and I say, I'm changing the channel and there's not a thing you can do about it because I'm dad. All right? And, you know, and there'll be some moaning and some griping. And, ah, you know, I didn't want to watch that. And I say, listen, I'm dad. Okay? I call the shots. Every once in a while you can do that because you're, you're in charge. You're this is what God does. You know, there's times where God is calling a decision and this is the direction He's going in and people go, but, but God, you don't understand. That, that these people are going to do this. And Hey, listen. I'm going to do it anyway. Because I'm God. And I know the, how this whole thing is going to play out. And, and there, there, there are a lot of examples of this. Abraham. God decided that Abraham was going to be chosen to be the father of the nation of Israel. And there wasn't a thing that anybody could say or do about it. It was God's decision. It was his providential decision. I choose Abraham. Yeah, but Abraham had a problem with deceit. Doesn't matter. I choose him. He's the one. And then God chose Israel. He raised up a nation to show the world who he is. You say, well, why Israel? Why not this nation? Why not that? Hey, this is my decision. I'm changing the channel and there's not a thing you can do about it. This is God's decision. And this is the way he has set things in motion. And then to send the Messiah, that he would come from the nation of Israel. You know, why them? Why were they chosen? Why are they so special? It's God's choice. I choose, I change the channel. There's not a thing you can do about that. And why in Judea? Why in this armpit of the Roman Empire at that particular time? Why did God do it at that time in that place? There's nothing you can do about it. That's God's choice. That's His providential will. You know, and there's been a lot of people that have tried to fight God's providential will. And I want you to imagine, after Jesus started His ministry, He he pulled His disciples together after He was resurrected, and there was 120. And I want you to imagine, just just this section right here, maybe 120 people, and Jesus is up on the mountain, and He's saying, okay, guys, I died, I resurrected, everything's come true. And they're looking around and they're like, you know, uh, it was just us after all this. And Jesus says to 120 people, he says, we are going to change the world. I'm going to use this group, I'm going to use this church to change the world. Golf clap. You know, they're thinking, golf clap. Just, just, you know, right. But you know what? 2,000 years later, anybody questioning the providential will of God? And then to see what happened just 40 days after that speech that Jesus delivered on the mountain, to see the explosion that happened on the day of Pentecost, the explosion that happened in, in Jerusalem, and then it spread, and then it spread, and even now. And you could think today, what's God going to do with this? group of people here today. What's God going to do with Christianity today? This is the providential will of God. He's going to do it anyway. And you can't stop it. You can't do anything about it. And the church was launched in Judea and there's nothing anyone could do about it to stop it. And here are a few examples of people that tried to get and meddle with the will of God. Remember Pharaoh? 
Exodus. You know, people will stand up and say, you will not pass. And God says, oh, really? And Pharaoh tried that. He told Moses, you are not leaving. You're going to stay here and work for me as slaves for free. And God said, oh, really? And then after a few plagues, Pharaoh comes, calls Moses back, says, I've changed my mind, Moses. Go. Get out of here. And not only that, I want you to take all this gold and all these riches from our nation and you can take them with you because you're going to need it. See, Pharaoh learned a very hard lesson. You do not mess with the will of God. And there, there are others. Saul. King Saul. He had a plan. He had it all orchestrated that his son Jonathan was going to become king. And he found out that God's plan was to use David and make David king. And so he tried for seven years to kill David. You don't want to do that. You do not want to mess with the will of God. And once again, Saul's life came to a very messy end. Because he tried to stop the will of God, the providential will of God. Then you got the Apostle Paul, right? He wrote most of the New Testament. Do you know what happened to, to Paul, who was at this time, he was Saul. He was an enemy of the church. He thought he could squash the church. He said, these Christians, they are perverting the Old Testament Torah and the practice of Judaism, and we will, we will crush them. He went to the, the high priest and asked for letters so that he could arrest the disciples and the leaders. And so he went to Damascus, and on his pony ride to Damascus, guess what happens to him? He's knocked off of his donkey. He's blinded for three days. And Jesus says, why are you fighting me? And he stopped him in his tracks. And you know what else? He took an enemy of the church, a murdering enemy of the church, and turned him into an apostle. He says, I'm not only going to stop you, I'm going to use you. I'm going to make you into the most powerful apostle in the New Testament. In fact, you're going to be my chosen instrument to evangelize the Gentile world. See, you don't want to mess with the providential will of God. You know, there are others. Nero, he tried to squash the church. He tried to blame all the Christians for all the bad things that were happening in Rome. What happened to Nero? Where's Nero now? You know, and you got, you got other examples like Stalin, the communist, the communist Revolution. They tried to do away with religion altogether back in the 50s and the 60s. Where's communism now? Where's the big wall that was, that was dividing the city of Berlin? These guys mocked God. They said, there is no God. There is no religion. There is only the state. And we, they planted their flag and they mocked God. And what happened? You see, whenever you try to stop the providential will of God, He just mows right over you. You can't stop Him. You know, and there's other examples. Today in our society, there are, there are people that are trying to stop prayer in schools. There are people trying to pervert what's right and wrong in our society. And we get all worried. We say, oh, the, our society is going to, you know, it's going down the, it's gone down the, 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 the drain and everything's coming apart and... and you know, what's going to happen? And we get all worried. Don't worry. Nothing will stop the providential will of God. These arrogant people think, you know, God doesn't even exist. And they mock the communion. They mock Christianity. Listen. It's happened before. 
And these people all end up the same, humiliated, bowing down, recognizing that God's plan is sovereign. And there's not a thing you can do about it. So rest at ease. Now, here's where it comes down to you. Which side will you be on? Are you going to follow the crowd and cave in to what society is dishing out? Are you going to stand fast and say, no, I'm going with God. I'm going to focus on His will. And God is going to have the last word. And you know the incredible thing is, if you're here today, you have been invited to participate in the providential will of God. Isn't that awesome? You know, when you do things like you give your, your, your contribution, and I was talking to the, 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 the children's teachers this morning at 8.30, and I said, you know what you guys are doing right here? You are participating. You are leaning in on the providential will of God. You're helping. You're working side by side with God. And He's inviting all of us to participate in His will. Which team do you want to be a part of? Do you want to be on the winning team that's going to end the right way and that's going to have the last say after everything's said and done? Are you going to be following the crowd and then it's going to end up badly? That's the question you've got to ask yourself. But God's extending an invitation. If you're visiting here with us today, you have the opportunity to participate in the providential will of God that's going to be passed down from generation. God is handing us as a church the baton. What we do with it is significant. It's huge. You know, and and we give financially. It's an investment into God's providential will. When we study the Bible with somebody, it's, it's an investment. It's, it's, it's helping. When you're volunteering, those guys that are helping with the sound, the ushers, the teachers, everybody that participates in making this service possible is helping with the providential will of God. Because He wants to use the church to change our world. To get it back on track, to get people back in a relationship with God. And everybody that's gotten baptized restored. All these decisions, when somebody makes a decision to say, you know what, I've been living this way and I'm going to live this way from now on, that's as significant as what Abraham did, what Moses did, what, what these people that were heroes did. It's significant. And when you serve in some capacity, what we did last week in giving blood to City of Hope, it had an impact. Because it draws people's attention. What's this church about? Lighthouse Church of Christ. Why are all these people wanting to give blood? They're so nice. And they're willing to give bone marrow. I wasn't quite ready for that. I said, take some blood, but I'm going to need some time on the bone marrow. But there were, there were members of our church willing to do that. I mean, that leans in. People, people, are, people ask the question, what's this group all about? Why would someone do that? Because they understand God's will for their life to be used to help others. It's not all about you. And in looking at this, we're going to look at the second one. Is that the moral will of God? The moral will of God. The moral will of God is all those things in the Bible that say you're supposed to, the supposed to do's and don'ts. 
Now these, these are a number of them, and here are some of them. Tell the truth. Do not steal. Submit to governing authorities. Abstain from sexual immorality, meaning having sexual relationships with someone of the opposite sex outside of marriage. That's exactly what that's talking about. Forgive one another. That's a, that's a primary teaching of Jesus. Honor your father and mother. No matter what everybody else is saying, this is God's moral will. And there are others. These are just a few examples. This is, this is what is hardest for us. Because we want to, oh, you know, we want to dodge, we're not playing dodgeball, you know, with the moral will of God. Here comes, here comes the commandment. Let me get out of the way and let me see if I can rationalize this. And we duck, you know. I don't think that applies to me. I think that applies to somebody else in a different situation. And see, when you dodge the moral will of God, the, the, the personal will of God will not be clear in your life. And, and this is the hardest thing for us to accept. But this, the moral will of God is where life change happens. And you've been there before, some of you. When you start to apply God's principles in your life, meaning stop getting angry with your wife, what happens when you stop getting angry? Because the Bible says anger at this level is not good. It's sinful. What happens? Your marriage starts getting better. You start putting into practice the moral will of God and things. there's a peace that comes over you. And then your eyes are open and you're going, hey, this really works. My life is changing. Our marriage is getting better. Our family is getting better. My life is getting better. I'm getting along better with my friends because of the moral will of God. This is where change happens in the moral will of God. And then moving on to the next one, the personal will of God. Now, this is the one we're most interested in. But the truth is, the truth is about the personal will of God is it's always found within the context of the providential and moral will of God. Meaning, the more you know about the providential will of God and the moral will of God, it gets a lot easier to know what his personal will is for your life. You see, when you understand how God's working from the Scriptures and when you're obedient to what He's teaching as far as His moral will, right and wrong, then, then it's much clearer, this is the path that I need to take. This is what I need to do with my life. You know, I get a lot of people that come up to me and ask me some really, in my mind, not smart questions. I've had people outside of our church come up to me and ask me for advice, you know, and say, hey, should I divorce my wife? This is the situation. And I, you know, I go, it, it's, it's already right here. It's right here what the Bible says. You know, should I move in with my girlfriend? Should we live together? It's, it's right here. You don't even have to ask that question. It's clear. You know, a lot of people, they spend a lot of time stressing over decisions. What should they do when if they would just take the time to understand God's providential will and God's moral will, everything will be clear. They go, duh. Yeah, that's what God wants me to do. It's obvious. And some of us, even in the church, I've had people in the church, members of the church, ask me some sometimes very stupid questions. It's a no-brainer. 
But because they haven't followed the providential will, they haven't vested themselves in God's will, and they haven't obeyed God's moral will, they're all confused. I had someone in our church not too long ago ask me about divorce in a Christian marriage. And then they tried to rationalize it and they said, well, you know, well, there's this situation, that situation. You know, there's very few exceptions. God hates divorce. And our society is pushing it. But if you'll understand the, the, the providential will and the moral will of God, things are going to get real easy for you to figure out for yourself. And then God's going to be able to, to direct your life and help you. It'll be easier. Not easy, easier. Well, what should I major in? That's a good question. You're going to have to search that one out. Should I take this job? Should I live here? Should I live there? And you know, when you understand the providential will of God, that the kingdom and, and, and His work through the local church, where you live is significant. You'll base that decision on where you're going to live based on if there's a strong church there. Because you want to participate in the providential will of God. You don't want to go to some deserted place where there's no church because it's a great job and they're going to pay you six figures. Right? It sounds good, but you're, not, you're going to be detached from God and fellowship and community and His providential will to use this organization to change the world. We've had some people learn that lesson the hard way. And basically what they did, they had the ball... They were at the line of scrimmage, and they liked what they saw. They weren't in sync with the, what the coach was thinking, and they called an audible. Here's where I'm going. I'm going to do an option right. And they get killed by the defensive line. They get killed by life. And it's discouraging to be dropped for a loss on the football field. It's humiliating. People are watching. Why would you do that? When you've got the best plan and the best way of going about living your life. Well, I don't like people telling me what to do. Hey, listen. Let me break it down for you. Somebody's going to tell you what to do. Just get used to it. That's the way life is. You know, i got signs that are out here on the street. And they're going to tell you what speed to drive. You know, where to go to shop. That's just the way it is. People are going to tell you what to do. It's listening to the right people that are going to tell you what to do. It's listening to the right voices. Some of you are listening to the wrong people. You think, well, nobody tells me what to do. You're wrong. Your friends tell you what to do. You think you don't. Or you think they don't, but they, they pull your strings and they, hey, we're going here. You want to go? And you go, no, I'm not going to go. Right. You're going to follow the crowd. You do it all the time. And you think you're an independent operator. It's probably been a long time since you've had an independent thought for yourself. Because <laughs> you're doing what everybody else says. And you don't like to do what people tell you to do. The question is, is are you going to choose the right people? To help you. The personal will of God. And I want to say something to the parents. You want to help your children out? Get them involved in church as early as possible. 
Because you want your children to know about the providential will of God and you want your children to know about the moral will of God so that when they get to college age or high school age, it's going to be a lot easier for them to figure out the personal will of God in their lives. Why wouldn't you want your children understanding those two first wills of God so that they could be, it could be a lot easier for them to make decisions instead of going at it alone? And what about you? Your involvement in the church is so limited. How are you going to figure out what God's will is for your life when you're out there doing whatever you think? And you're calling plays from who knows where and what. You haven't made any yardage gain in your life in a long time. It's like these football programs. They think, oh yeah, next year we're going to turn this program around. It's been five years! you got a losing program. Get rid of that guy. And get someone in there who knows what they're doing. Right? We've said it. Guys, right? We've said it. I've said it. That's with football. What about life? When are you going to humble out and figure out, I'm in a losing program right here. When am I going to get on the right team and get it together? And start making good decisions so that not only my life can be blessed, but the people around me. We're going to cone in on a scripture. How are we doing? We're doing great. This is this kind of our focus scripture here. 2 Peter chapter 3. In verse 3. You know, Christianity at this time, when Peter wrote this book, wrote this letter, was going through a really rough time. In fact, even though you were following the providential will, the moral will of God... You were following his personal plan for your lives. It was rough for the Christians in the first century. They were getting their their businesses taken away. Some of them were being killed for their faith. It was really, really hard. And so Peter wrote this letter to encourage Christians. Because it's not always going to go well for you. It's not always going to be roses and daisies as Christians. There's dark times. And see, they were hearing these voices in their society. And Peter wanted to console them. He said, first of all, you must understand. In verse 3, in the last days, scoffers will come. And following their own evil desires, they will say, where is this coming? He promised. Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. Meaning, you know what? You and your religion, it's a bunch of lies. You think the world's going to come to an end? You think Jesus is going to come back? You think there's going to be a judgment day? There's no judgment day. People come and go and life goes on. Right? This is what people are saying today. You know, people mock Christianity. And they're even doing it today. They make fun of, you know, they they, they consider taking the communion as like, you know, aliens, believing in aliens. I mean, it's crazy what people out there say about our faith, about God, about the Bible. And, and look, what he, look what it says here. Next slide. So could someone help me because the clicker's clicked out. <laughs> Next one. Verse 5, it says, But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's own word, the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water, by water. And by these waters... 
Also, the world at that time was deluged and destroyed. What Peter's saying is here, you know, people forget there was a beginning of time. God created everything from nothing. There was a beginning. So if there was a beginning, what's that lead you to think? There's going to be a end. And some of us think things are just going to go on as they are. Everything's going to be fine. Nothing's going to change. And these people deliberately forget. And then he's leading into the, 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 the part about Noah. And this was to remind the disciples, oh yeah, Noah, Noah's Ark. God did bring everything to an end because of the moral state of the world. And then in verse 7, by the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for not water this time, fire. Being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. Do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the, with, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. He's putting things into perspective. And he's breaking it down. These scoffers think that, you know, Jesus is never going to come back. There's not going to be a judgment day. God doesn't even exist. And then they know. And it, you're coming up on a 10-year anniversary of a very special date, 9-11. And some of you that were around and were adults at that time, what was it like after 9-11? People were, churches were full to capacity after 9-11. Everybody was seeking God and, and it was like the world is coming to an end. You remember that? Some of us forgot Everybody was filled with fear because they thought, man, judgment is coming and this is bad what's happening in our society. No one left home, never went on planes. It was like, no, I'm going to read my Bible and stay home and pray. What happened ten years later? We forgot. There's no fear. There's no concern. Ah, yeah, you know, those Muslims, they're a little crazy. And only until we reach rock bottom do we start to think about our lives and go, you know what, maybe, maybe God is going to call my life into account. Maybe there will be a judgment. But this is what the Lord has promised. Now here's the encouraging part. The Lord is not, the Lord is not slow in keeping His promise, as some understand slowness. He's patient with who? He's patient with you. He's patient with me. God's not delaying judgment. He's being patient. And that patience is love. He's giving us time. He's giving us time to figure out, this way it's not going well. I need to get this plan in my life. I need to start following God's plan. I need to start doing it God's way. He's patient with you, not wanting anyone to what? Perish. Or be judged. And see, judgment is a lot worse than any hardship you could face in this life. Let's get that real clear. Judgment is a reality. God's going to call your decisions into account. And it's going to be a lot worse than that quarterback going to the sideline and the coach ripping into him and throwing his hat on the ground. It's going to be rough. That's the reality of what the Bible teaches. This isn't, this isn't what I'm saying. This is what the Scriptures teach. This is how it's going to end. This is what's coming. 
But God doesn't want anybody to fall under that judgment. If you're here visiting today, He does not want you to fall under judgment. He's giving you time. How much time? I don't know. But if I were you, I wouldn't waste time. Because not only are you putting off God, you're putting off blessings in your life. And He's wanting people to come to what? Repentance. Meaning, you change the play. You change the way you're running your offense. The way you're running your life. You were going in this direction, now you're going in this direction. You're going to change you running your life, and you're going to let God run your life. That's what this means. Repentance means I'm not taking over. I'm letting God take over. And He is going to direct the steps of my life. God loves you. We talked about this last week. God loves you. He is for you. That idea that He's against you and He's cursing your life. No, you're not cursed. You're just suffering the consequences of the bad decisions that you're making. It's an unraveling. Don't blame that on God. It's you. You made a bad call. You made a bad play. You've been doing it for years. Even in the church, and i got to say this, brothers and sisters, some of you have been living outside of the will of God in the church. Stop kidding yourself. And you want your kids to follow God. You want it to go well. It's not going to go well. It's time to let God truly rule your life. And stop calling audibles. Because He has great plans for you. Plans for you to prosper. Plans for it to go well, not just for you, but for your children. Now we're going to look at this passage. You remember I talked about Saul, King Saul. 1 Samuel chapter 15. How serious is it when you go outside of the will and the plan of God? How serious is it? See, Saul came up with his own plan. God gave him a plan. Okay, I want you to, I want you to do this, Saul. And he changed it. He said, no, I know what God said. I'm going to do it. I'm going to modify it. Because he caved into what the people wanted. He gave into fear. And this is what God said to him through his prophet Daniel. I mean Samuel. He says, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the voice of the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice. And to heed is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination. It's a serious deal. It's really bad. Rebellion against God. And arrogance is like the evil of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, He has rejected you as king. What do you think this decision, how did it affect Saul's life and family? Some of you know the story. It was irreversible. It ruined his life, and it ruined his children's life. It cost him his children's life. It forever was a blemish on his life and his children and his family. It's very sad. I want to I help you understand something. You're not an island. The choices you make in your life have a very big effect on your children, and on the people around you. 
What my parents did some 50 years ago almost has had a tremendous effect on my life. What I do, what you do, is going to affect a lot of people. Now, David comes along, and he's chosen by God. Why do you think God chose David? Here it is. Let's look at the verse. Acts 13, verse 22. Paul lifts him up. After removing Saul, he made David their king. He testified concerning him, I have found David, son of Jesse, to be a man after what? My own heart. He wants to do what I want to do. Him and I are together. He has my heart. And he will do everything I want him to do. Incredible contrast. How did David's life turn out? Saul tried to kill David for seven years. God says, you will not do that. And how did it turn out for David and his family? Because he had this heart. How many others, not just his family, the whole nation of Israel was blessed because of David's decision. It became the most powerful nation. And I want to say this, your life can have a significant impact on many people's lives. Your family can have a significant impact if you'll just live in God's game plan. That's what it comes down to. It can go really well for you if you will live His plan. And let's break it down, faith and action, and then we're going to wrap it up. I want to encourage you, no matter where you are, to continue to pray this week. Show me your will for my life. And I want to encourage you parents to pray with your children, to encourage them to pray, God, show me your will for my life. To teach them at a very young age that God has a great plan for them and and. And to ask God for that specific plan. And to teach him about God's providential and moral will. And I want to encourage you, if you're visiting here with us today, to study the Bible with someone. So that you can understand God's providential will and also understand his moral will. The the moral will is the big one. You see, because when I started studying the Bible 26 years ago, I I had to change a lot. A lot of I knew I needed to change, and there was stuff I didn't know I needed to change. And it was good to know that I needed to change a lot more than I thought I needed to change. So that I could complete the job. So I want to encourage you to do that with somebody. Take initiative. Don't wait. Well, I don't know, i got a busy week. What else is more important in your life than God's will? You're going to figure this out sooner or later. That's much more important. Make the time. And the focus of this fall, you know, we got our men's retreat coming up in October. In case you're wondering, men, this fall we're focusing on being men. Understand? This isn't about having a man card. This is about following God and doing it His way. All right? Some of you have been doing it bonehead way. Okay? I'm not trying to insult you. I'm just saying it's not going well. And you're stubborn and you're messing up. And, and let me tell you this. Men in our society are in trouble. I heard a statistic that a lot of the, a lot of the people that are going to college now are mostly women. And men are falling way behind. 
You know, we're making boneheaded decisions and it's hurting society. Women need men. Children need men. But most of all, they need men of God. Great quarterbacks that are following great playbooks. And let me tell you, this is the best playbook there is for life. This is the best one that's out there for us now. So, wherever you are, brother, brother to brother, let's make some decisions this fall to be men. Okay, let's be strong men, real men of God. And then last, to live in the will of God. You know, wherever you're at today, I want to encourage you. If you're not living in the will of God, let's get back in it. All right? It's simple. Today, I decide. I re-decide. Just like you heard here in the, in the welcome. I re-decide today to make Jesus Lord. You don't have to fall away to do that. You can be sitting right here in church and Jesus is no longer Lord. You're just a religious person. He's not running your life. You are. You just got a nice cloak of covering of religiosity. Let's turn it over today. Okay? Let's live in the will of God so you can know His specific game plan for your life. Let's pray for the communion.